Our mission here at First Baptist Church Pelham is succinctly summarized in a five-word statement. Making disciples for global impact. This phrase describes who we are and why we are here. So I am extremely excited to announce that today we launch a new seven-part sermon series entitled The Making of a Disciple. This morning, uh, we start with the foundational building block of disciple making. And that building block is faith in Jesus Christ. You show me a person who has explicit faith in Jesus Christ. I'll show you a person who's a disciple of the Lord. You show me an individual who does not have explicit faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll show you a person who is not a disciple of our Lord. This is the Mason-Dixon line of our theology. This separates sheep from goats, wheat from weeds, the children of light versus the children of darkness. For as disciples of Christ, we are people who have explicit faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want us to examine mega faith. Please take your Bible and turn to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 15. I'll be reading verses 21 to 28. Once you found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 15, allow me to begin reading at verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. And Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Heavenly Father, help me to preach. Help me to preach. Help me to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The story I just read for you is a story of great faith. We read that leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. To say that Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon is to say that Jesus got out of the country. This is not the only time, but it's one of the few times that Jesus literally went beyond the geographical boundaries of Israel. Jesus went to present-day Syria, Lebanon. He went outside the covenant people of God. You may ask yourself, why in the world would Jesus go to those coastal towns of Tyre and Sidon nestled on the Mediterranean Sea? The answer is implied in Matthew's gospel. 
It's explicitly stated in Mark's version of the same story. In Mark chapter 7 verse 24, it says that Jesus entered a house hoping that no one would know it. But his presence could not be kept secret. Jesus went out of the country to retreat. Jesus went on vacation. He had to go away for a few days. Jesus went uh, to the region of Tyre and Sidon just to rejuvenate, just to rest, just to recharge his battery. Now, like you, I would affirm that Jesus is fully God and fully man. If you're anything like me, I have no problem believing in the deity of Christ. In fact, it's easy for me to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh It's easy for me to understand and believe and hold to the miraculous events of Jesus, like the feeding of the 5,000 or when he raised the dead back to life or unstopped deaf ears or opened blind eyes. Not hard for me to believe in in the miracles of Jesus. Why? Because he is God. But there are times when I almost forget about the humanity of Jesus. Yet when you and I come to this story, the humanity of Christ slaps us in the face. Because when Jesus was hungry, he had to eat. When Jesus was tired, he had to rest. And there were times when Jesus just needed to get away from everybody. If you had read the first 15 chapters of Matthew's gospel, you would understand that at this time in his ministry, Jesus is facing hostility on every side. And he needs just simply to get away from everybody. He needs to get out, get away. So he goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. But it's Mark who says that even though he went to the house in the hopes that no one would know it, his presence could not be kept secret. Jesus had star-studded celebrity status. Everywhere he went, he attracted a crowd. Every place he went, they recognized his face. They understood him. His reputation preceded him. Now keep in mind, this is in the first century. This is before any form of mass communication. There are no newspapers to report about the actions of Jesus. There is no radio, no television. Of course, there's no internet, no Facebook, no Instagram, no social media, no Twitter. There's nothing, nowhere where anybody can just kind of publicize who Jesus is and what he looks like. But it seems that every place he went, people recognized who he was. And when Jesus went into your neck of the woods, everybody turned out of the woodwork. Everybody came to Ask Jesus a favor. In our story, Matthew says there was a woman living in that vicinity. He simply calls this anonymous woman a Canaanite. Now, Matthew is writing predominantly to Jewish readers. By him saying she is a Canaanite woman, that's a word that vilifies her. She is a Canaanite. Immediately when the First readers read Matthew's gospel track and they came across this phrase, a Canaanite woman. They thought to themselves, why is she coming to Jesus for anything? And certainly Jesus won't give her the time of day. Why? Because she is a Canaanite. Who is a Canaanite? Oh, those are the inhabitants of the promised land that had to be evicted. Moses liberated the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. It was Joshua that led in the victorious conquest. And Joshua had his marching orders. He was to stamp out all of those Canaanites. All those people who were pagan and vile and barbaric. 
Those people who were not God-fearers. And many Hebrew soldiers killed Jebusites and Amalekites and Amorites, all the other ites. The one word that summarizes all of them are Canaanites. Apparently, not all Canaanites died because this woman is a descendant of them. She is a Canaanite woman. Now, Mark, in his description, he doesn't describe her as a Canaanite woman. He says she is a woman who is Syrophoenician, which simply means she's from the region of Syria and Phoenicia. And this has caused some people to say, see, this is why the Bible has errors in it. Matthew says she's Canaanite. Mark says she's Syrophoenician. They can't even agree. Both of them can't be right. The reality is both of them are right. She is from Syria and Phoenicia. And in a broader perspective, that makes her a Canaanite. It would be like somebody asking me, are you an Alabamian or an American? Well, I'm both. I'm from the region of Alabama and I am an American citizen. So I am both in the same way this woman was both a Syrophoenician woman and that made her a Canaanite. In other words, both Matthew and Mark are saying that this woman is polar opposites of Jesus. I mean, she's of a different race from a different place with a different looking face. I mean, she is completely and utterly different than Jesus. And she comes to him with a request. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. For my daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. If this woman was not supposed to go to Jesus, nobody told her. I mean, this woman said, I've got to boldly barge in to the house where Jesus is staying. I've got to make public this thing that he wants to keep in secret. I've got to go in and ask him a bold statement. Please have mercy on me. Help me uh, because my daughter is suffering terribly. I've already told you this is a story about great faith. It's not necessarily or primarily a story that is a miraculous story. Even though I know that there's a miraculous healing that takes place at the end of the story, that's not primarily the point of the story. It's almost like the healing at the end is kind of like a postscript, an addendum, something tacked on. Oh yeah, by the way, the little girl gets healed. But that's not the main point of the story. Both Mark and Matthew want us to understand and focus upon the faith of this woman, not the fact that her daughter was healed. The author of the scripture says, look at her faith. She had great faith faith. What does great faith look like? Well, first and foremost, great faith is Christ-centered. Great faith is always and only Christ-centered. This woman boldly barged into the house, interrupted Jesus' quiet time, interrupted his retreat, his opportunity to get away. She boldly walked in. She accurately identified him as Lord Son of David. You are the sovereign king of the universe. You have the line and lineage of David, not just a, uh, a national king, but a global king. We understand that you are the sole savior. And so Lord Son of David, I'm asking for a, a merciful help. Help me please have mercy upon me heal my daughter when you read this request at no point does this woman insinuate any shred of doubt in the ability of Jesus she's not calling into question his ability to fix the problem she believes it wholeheartedly and she has great faith how do you know she has great faith because her great faith is Christ-centered it is squarely placed on the shoulders of Jesus and she says Jesus I know you can fix this nobody else in her Canaanite culture could fix it no other witch doctors no other religious individuals 
No pagan temple or pagan activity could heal this woman's daughter. But Jesus, he can fix it. Some of you uh, bring in today a problem, prognosis, or predicament. Some of you have a crisis, a concern, a catastrophe. Others of you come in and you've got a situation, a setback, or a scenario. It is something that keeps you up at night. It is something that, that rolls around in your stomach. It is something that you worry about. It is a problem that you need fixed. Some of you bring that problem into church. Some of you uh, have that problem bringing you into church. You're here, you've got this problem, and you think to yourself, who in the world can help this? Who in the world can fix this? My friends, you've come to the right place because Jesus can fix it. He is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask think or imagine sometimes we have a problem that money cannot fix we have a problem that military cannot fix we have problems that medical doctors cannot fix we have problems that lawyers cannot fix we have problems that politicians cannot fix we have problems that parents cannot fix we have problems that teachers cannot fix we have problems that coaches cannot fix we have problems that charisma cannot fix we have problems that you cannot fix but there ain't nothing that Jesus can't fix I know that's bad grammar but it's great theology hashtag ain't nothing there ain't nothing Jesus can't fix And a person who has great faith acknowledges that that faith is Christ-centered because Jesus is able to fix it. This woman comes in, there's no shred of doubt. She does not question the ability of Jesus. She does not even question the identity of Jesus. She accurately identifies him as Lord, son of David. She has a request, have mercy upon me. Heal my daughter. She is suffering terribly from demon possession. She had strong faith. She had great faith. It was Christ-centered. Now, you and I live in an American culture where, according to every poll, the vast majority of Americans regard themselves as a people of faith. The vast majority of Americans regard themselves as religious. Most Americans uh, think of themselves as being spiritual. But if you dig a little bit deeper you realize that oftentimes that spirituality is nothing more than humanism on steroids. That many times what is regarded as religion is something that's built on Islam or Judaism or some Near Eastern mysticism. My friends, that's not faith. That's fallacy. Because I want to make a statement this morning, and I believe it to be true, that the only faith that's great faith is faith that is Christ-centered. That if it is not centered on Christ, it not only is not great faith, I don't even think it is faith. You think to yourself, Pastor, you're being pretty narrow about this. No, I think I'm being pretty biblical about this. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Wide is the gate and broad is the road, and many are on it that lead to destruction, but narrow is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and only a few find it. You would think that this woman is one of those individuals going through the narrow gate on the narrow road. You would think that she is pursuing the eternal life that only Jesus Christ can give. She comes, she boldly walks in, she makes a request of Jesus, she believes he can handle it, she believes he can fix it. Jesus Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me and heal my daughter. I don't, I don't uh, deserve this. I, you don't owe me anything, but I believe that you can help. My faith, my trust is squarely placed upon you. My faith is Christ-centered. Now, up until now, if you had read 
the Gospel of Matthew, you would realize that Jesus is portrayed as a compassionate Savior. Jesus usually always responds with great compassion to people when they come to him with this kind of faith. What you expect for Jesus to do is to welcome this woman, to engage her in conversation, to heal her daughter. But what does the scripture say? Jesus did not answer her a word. What? That sounds odd. Jesus did not answer her a word? Why did Jesus give her a Christological cold shoulder? Why did he give her the sovereign silent treatment? Why did Jesus not answer her a word? That seems rude. It seems out of character. Why would Jesus do that? If you were that woman, what would that do to your faith? You come and you bear your soul before Christ. You squarely place your faith centered upon Jesus the Christ and you ask him for help. You ask him for mercy and he looks right through you. It's not that he didn't hear. It's not that he didn't acknowledge that you're standing there. He's looking right at you and through you and he does not answer you a word. What would that do to your faith? For some of us, it would wreck our faith. For some of us, it would deflate our faith for some of us we would get so angry and so frustrated that 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 the boldness in which we walked in would be the boldness in which we would walk out and we would say Jesus if that's how you are going to treat my fragile faith then I don't have any need for you I'm going to turn my back on you and on everything that looks like you and I'm not going to have anything to do with God at all and then some people would go and get on Facebook you can't imagine what Jesus did for me I mean, that's what some people would do, right? What does this woman do? Apparently, she doesn't barge out. Apparently, she doesn't get angry. And apparently, she doesn't get on Facebook. Apparently, according to verse 23, she kept crying out to his disciples. She said, I I went to the CEO. I went to the head honcho. I went to the man at the top. I went to Jesus and he didn't answer me. He, he gave me a cold shoulder. He, he, uh, he, he didn't say anything. So then she said, I'm going to go to his associates. I'm going to go to his disciples. So she went to Matthew uh, and, and Bartholomew and Peter, James, and John. And she went to them. And it's not that she's not going to take no for an answer. She just is going to be there until she gets an answer. And so she just keeps asking, will you please gain me an audience with your master? Will you please uh, make me an appointment with Jesus? Uh, Will you please just convey to him and speak a good word on my behalf? I believe he can heal my daughter. I just need merciful help and I just need him to, to help me. And so she kept on, kept on, kept on crying out. She had great faith. How do you know it? Great faith is First and foremost, Christ-centered. But secondly, great faith is persistent in its plea. She kept crying out. That word crying out is in present tense, which means that it was a continuous action. She didn't stop. Once again, it's not that she wouldn't take no for an answer. She's just waiting for an answer. So she kept on praying, kept on requesting, kept on asking. The word crying out, it literally means to scream to shout, to shriek. I mean, she's loud. This woman is loud. She's really messing up a quiet retreat, don't you think? I mean, Jesus went away 
to retreat and get into quiet, to rest a little bit. And this woman, she's messing it up completely. She comes in and she's persistent in her plea. Eventually, the disciples had had enough. So they went up to Jesus and they said, uh, you have got to send this woman away. I mean, she is wearing us out for she is crying out after us. And Jesus spoke to the disciples, but I think this woman is in earshot. I think she can hear what Jesus is saying. And not even looking at the woman, he says to his disciples, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. <laughs> y'all didn't get that. Y'all, did y'all hear what Jesus said? Apparently you didn't because your response tells me you did not pick up what Jesus was putting down. Jesus said, this woman is not Jewish enough. She, she is, is not like me enough. Some would say that Jesus just blasted her with a racial slur. She's not Jewish enough. I came for the lost sheep of Israel. What, Jesus, what are you doing? What? First, you give her the Christological cold shoulder. And secondly, you offend her by giving her a racial slur saying, she's not like us, so I'm not going to help her. Now, other places, Jesus clearly helped Gentile individuals. He clearly helped those who were Greek. I mean, he healed the servant of the Roman centurion. He healed other individuals from Syria and from all over, uh, all beyond uh, Jerusalem and Judea. Jesus healed all types of people, both Jew and Gentile. But on this day, in this moment, he says, you're not Jewish enough. Can you imagine if Jesus was living in our day and time and CNN got a hold of that report? <laughs> Late breaking news, racist rabbi would fly across the bottom of your screen, Right? They would slander him for his statement. She's not Jewish enough. I came only for the lost sheep of Israel. Can you imagine what the media would do to Jesus today? Now, I don't think that Jesus is really being racist. But what is he doing? Why is he acting this way? Why is he saying this? Keep in mind that Matthew is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. And I think what Jesus is telling his disciples is the mission is not over. I've already told you that Jesus rarely went outside the geographical boundaries of Israel. And this is one of those times. And he does not want his disciples to misunderstand his actions. He's not saying, I'm turning my back on Israel. He's not saying the mission is over. He's saying, no, I've got to go back to Israel. In fact, I've got to do what God has called me to do and sent me here to do. And I've got to go back to Jerusalem. And I've got to uh, be crucified on a hill called Calvary. I've got to be placed in a borrowed grave. And on the third day, I'll be raised from the dead. I've got to do what God sent me to do. I've, I'm on this rescue mission and the mission's not over. I'm not turning my back on Israel. But this woman, just want you to know, She's not like us. She's not one of the lost sheep of Israel. Keep in mind, it was Matthew who connects the life and lineage of Jesus all the way back to Abraham in chapter one. You remember the covenant that God made with Abraham? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless the entire world through you. 
Jesus comes from the line and lineage of David. David comes from the line and lineage of Abraham. And so Matthew, in a very uh, strategic way, links Jesus all the way back to Father Abraham so that Jesus will come to fulfill the mission to and through the Jews and to the entire world. Yes, Jesus is a global king, not just a national king, but a global king. But he's telling the disciples, I'm not through with Israel yet, so don't misunderstand my actions. She is not one of the lost sheep of Israel. The reason I think this woman can hear what Jesus is saying about her is because she comes and kneels at his feet and simply says, Lord, help me. It's a three-word prayer. Don't think that your prayers have to be lengthy to be effective. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. There may be some people in the house today listening to my voice, and that needs to be your prayer. Lord, help me. Lord, heal me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, restore me. Lord, recreate me. Lord, help me. Maybe some of you just need to pray just that simple prayer. Lord, help me. This woman had great faith. How do you know it? Because great faith is not only declared, it must be demonstrated. Don't miss that. Great faith must not only be declared on your lips, but demonstrated in your life. This woman demonstrates great faith. Her faith is Christ-centered. She is persistent in her plea. My question is, where did that great faith come from? The bigger question is, where does faith come from for any of us? Let me ask it this way. Does faith come from God or does faith come from you as the individual? And the answer is yes. Yes, faith comes from God. There are some places in the Bible where it says that and insinuates that that faith is a gift from God, that God planted faith inside of you, that it is God who initiates the faith relationship that he has with you. It is initiated and completed solely by God himself. And so God comes and plants faith in us. Oh, but then there are other passages where it's very clear that we as individuals, we have a human responsibility to react in faith that we have a responsibility to respond in faith. We are not robots, so we must voluntarily and willfully respond in the faith that God has planted inside of us, that our spirit must agree with his spirit, that as he speaks truth in our life, we respond in truth unto him. So sometimes I understand faith this way, that faith is, is planted in us by God and sometimes faith is pulled out of us by God. And I think that that's what Jesus is doing in this story. I think that Jesus has had it up to here with shallow faith. I've already told you that it's very hostile all around him. People are pressing against him. And and Jesus knows that people are following him for very shallow reasons. Just because of what they can get out of Jesus. And he wants to see in this woman how much faith is really there. And he wants her to see it. He wants the disciples to see it. He wants it to be on display, not just declared, but demonstrated. And so Jesus is pulling faith out of this woman. You may recall uh, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's in all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, so probably 20,000 individuals with a handful of sardines and a couple of crackers. And Jesus fed them with meager means. And we are told that the very next day that a large crowd gathered around him and Jesus looked at them and said, the only reason you're here 
It's because yesterday I filled your stomach. And Jesus said, are you only here because of what I can give to you? Are you only here because of what you can get out of me? Jesus is telling the crowd today what he tells the crowd, uh, what he told the crowd back then. Jesus is more than socialized medicine. Jesus is more than a government handout. Jesus is more than just healing your friends and family. And Jesus is more than just giving you a meal on your table. Jesus says in John chapter six, I am the bread of life. He who feasts on me will never go hungry, right? And so Jesus wants to know what level of faith is in this woman. So he is pulling faith out of her. And one of the primary ways I think that God pulls faith out of us is that he allows life to squeeze us. And sometimes God allows life to squeeze us. Certainly he could stop all the squeezing, all the suffering, all the tragedy. But sometimes he permits it because he has a purpose to promote. He's squeezing this woman right now. He's allowing life to squeeze this woman because her daughter is sick, suffering from demon possession. And Jesus wants to know just how much faith is in this woman. Had she stormed out? Had she gotten frustrated? Had she walked away? Had she thrown up her hands? Had she gotten on uh, Facebook? (laughs) It would have revealed the lack of faith in her life. But instead, she was persistent in her plea. She kept asking. She kept asking until she got an answer from Christ. And all the while, what Jesus is doing is he's pulling faith out of her. You know, sometimes life squeezes you, doesn't it? It's the loss of a job. It's the loss of a spouse. It's having to bury a child. It's a a dream that's shattered and broken. And sometimes when life squeezes us, it reveals what's inside of us. If we stuff frustration inside of us, when life squeezes us, frustration will come out. If we stuff bitterness inside of us, when life squeezes us, bitterness will come out. If we stuff foul language inside of us, when life squeezes us, foul language will come out. If we stuff faithfulness inside of us, then when life squeezes us, faithfulness will come out. And many times what God permits, he permits life to squeeze us just to show us, to show him, to show others just how much faith is in us. I think that's what Jesus is doing in this story. I think that's what Jesus is doing with this woman. He gives her a Christological cold shoulder. He, yes, says that she's not Jewish enough. All the while just wondering how much faith is in her. And she comes back time and time again and simply says, Lord, help me. My faith has not been deterred. I have not not lost my faith. I still believe that you can fix it. Lord, help me. For the first time in our story, Jesus actually looks at the woman and carries on a conversation. And Jesus, looking at this woman, says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. Snap! Did you hear what Jesus just did? Did you hear? Did you hear what? Did you see what he just did? Did you hear what he just said? He just he just called this woman a dog, right? It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. 
That's what you are. You are a dog. This is the first time Jesus said anything to this woman. And the first time he engaged her in conversation, he calls her a dog. What are you doing, Jesus? Right? There have been some who said, well, there are two Greek words for dog. One is a word that summarizes and describes a mangy mutt that runs along the streets. The other is a really a term of endearment. It, it describes a, a domesticated animal that really becomes like part of the family. And what Jesus is doing here, he's not ridiculing this woman. Uh, really what he's doing is he is complimenting her and he is calling her the second of those two words. Um, and, and it really should be understood as a compliment and not a word of ridicule. To which I want to say in the most sophisticated way possible, blah, 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 baloney, right? Because ladies, let me ask you, if somebody calls you a dog, does it matter if in their mind they're thinking of a mangy mutt or a domesticated poodle? Does it really matter? The answer is no, no. He just called her a dog. To begin with, sovereign silent treatment. And then a racial slur. You're not Jewish enough. And now third, he says, you're a dog. Jesus, what are you doing? Once again, I think that Jesus is pulling faith out of her. How does she respond? She's not upset. She's not frustrated at the ridicule. She says, now we're finally getting somewhere. Now you're talking to me. All I wanted was a conversation. Up until now, you haven't said anything to me. Because she understood that delay does not always mean denial. Just because Jesus delays, that doesn't always mean denial. She knew this. She said, all I got to do is get Jesus to start talking to me. That's all I need. And now he's talking. And so Jesus, I'll, I'll follow your analogy. Okay, Jesus, I'm a dog. <laughs> I'm just a dog. That's all I am. You're the master and I'm a dog. Whether I'm a mangy mutt or a domesticated poodle, I don't know, but I'm just a dog. Okay, that's, a, that's all right. I'll be a dog just for a minute because you are the master. But Jesus, think about it this way. If the dog gets enough crumbs that fall from the table, that dog can have a mighty nice meal, right? All I'm asking for is just a few crumbs to come from your goodness. Just a few crumbs of mercy to fall from your benevolent table. That's all I need. I'm just a dog and I'll sit here and I'll be your dog. I will be your best friend. I'll be your dog. All I need is just a few crumbs. And Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. How did Jesus know that? Not only was it declared, it was demonstrated in her life. This woman had great faith. For her faith was Christ-centered. She had great faith because hers was a faith that was not only Christ-centered, but it was a faith in Jesus Christ that was persistent in its plea. And third and finally, it was great faith because she trusted Jesus regardless of the outcome. She had no promise on how things were going to end up. But her faith did not waver. She said, I trust you regardless of the outcome. Heal my daughter, great. If you decide not to heal my daughter, just tell me. But regardless, I'll trust you. I'll believe in you. And Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. The word great is the Greek word mega. Now, in English, the Greek word mega means mega. <laughs> it's mega faith. It's large. It's, it's tremendous. It's, it's uh, top shelf 
It's ginormous. It's, it's great faith. Listen, I know that elsewhere Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed, and it will. But that doesn't mean that Jesus wants you to have small faith. Jesus wants you to have great faith. And you can have great faith because the faith he planted inside of you, he can pull out of you. And sometimes what he uses to pull out of you is when life squeezes you. And he permits it because he has a, he has a purpose to promote. And my question to you this morning is I wonder, how great is your faith? Is there any point in this story when you would have bolted and bailed on Jesus? Is there any point in this story when you would have looked for the exit ramp and said, I'm done, I'm out? Maybe it's when Jesus gives you a cold shoulder. Jesus, I've been praying for months. I've been praying for years. All you gotta do is give me a sign and I'll believe in you. All you gotta do is show up and tell me and I'll trust you. All you gotta do is do something. But Jesus, you're not doing anything. Is that when you would have walked out? What about when he threw a racial slur? Making fun of your people. Would you have bailed on Christ? What about when he ridiculed you? In this context, one of the worst things would be to call a woman a dog. What about in your culture, in your context? What if Jesus ridiculed you? Is there any point where you would have bolted and bailed on Christ? This woman never left the side of Jesus. She had great faith. It was Christ-centered. It was persistent in its plea. It trusted Jesus regardless of the outcome. She had great faith. You know, there are times when uh, Jesus permits life to squeeze me. And sometimes uh, when life squeezes me, faith comes out. And I pat myself on the back and I say, a boy, way to go. And then there are other times when life squeezes me and faith doesn't come out. Frustration comes out. Bitterness comes out. Anger comes out. I read a story like this and I, I say, Jesus, increase my faith. Help my faith. Because there may have been a point in this story when I would look for the exit ramp. But Jesus, help me, help us to be disciple makers. And the uh, fundamental building block of making a disciple is faith in Jesus Christ. Help our faith to be great. Help, help, it, help it to be Christ-centered. Help us to be persistent in our pleas unto you. And help us to trust you regardless of the outcome. <laughs> I didn't read the very next line. But the very next line of the sacred script says something like this. Then Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee. He went up a mountain and he prayed. <laughs> That's a short-lived retreat, isn't it? The case could be made and the argument made that Jesus went out of the country, outside of the people of God, went to those two towns nestled on the Mediterranean coast simply for this one woman. He went on a rescue mission for an anonymous Syrophoenician Canaanite woman. And you walk away from this story and, and, and the big takeaway has to be something like this, that Jesus makes special trips into special places to pull faith out of special people. That Jesus in this story made a special trip to a special place to pull faith out of a special individual. And still today, Jesus makes special trips to special places 
to pull faith out of special people just like you. My faith has found a resting place. It's not in device nor creed. It's in the ever living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument and I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Oh God, help me to be a man of great faith. Oh God, help us to be a people of great faith. What does great faith look like? It can't just only be declared on our lips. It must be demonstrated in our lives. And great faith is a faith that is Christ-centered. It's a faith that is persistent in its plea. It is a faith that trusts God regardless of the outcome. Do you have mega faith? If you don't, you can. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. And Lord, I don't know the backstory of every person in this house today. But I gain confidence because you do. And so Lord, I know that you... You understand where everybody is. You know what they're going through. You know how life is squeezing them. And Father, I pray that today that you will pull faith out of us. Help us to be men and women of great mega faith. Help us to to, to be disciples that have explicit faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And where that faith is not found, will you please plant it? And and where that faith is needed and weak, will you please strengthen it? And where that faith is strong, will you please pull it out of us and demonstrate it? Oh, Father, help us to be individuals, men and women, boys and girls, who have massive, mega faith in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.